Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question stumped me, left me asking all kinds of questions, and led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of, of the church, uh, of the Bible, uh, church history uh, writ large, the Reformation, and beyond. And it was in that journey that I encountered the Catholic Church for the first time in her own words. And as I began reading what Catholic Church actually believes from Catholic theologians, and I realized what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And and this week is one of those bedrock, fundamental, uh, formative conversations that I think you will absolutely love. One of those things that I'm always looking to have more people on to talk about, and this was just perfect timing and just a perfect conversation. I am joined by Father Daniel Maria Kilmeck to talk about Mary, how to love Mary more, how to fall more deeply in love with Mary. This is, I I think, the conversation that you need to hear if you are a non-Catholic Christian looking at what those crazy Catholics are doing with the Catholic faith and their devotion to Mary, or a a new Catholic trying to understand, okay, I'm, I'm Catholic now, but what about Mary? There are so many of us who convert to Catholicism, who, who believe that the faith claims of the church, it is the church founded by Christ, and who believe that about the church, but have a hard time unpacking some of the other granular things that the church does and says, and Mary is one of those things. And truly, on this show, the letters that I get to this show, the emails, the, the DMs, the messages, and so many guests on this show, Mary is that last kind of thing standing between them and the Catholic Church or them in a deeper devotion, a deeper embrace of the Catholic Church. And so this week, we are unpacking all of that in absolutely Holy Spirit-filled, electric, electrified fashion with Father Daniel. This is an amazing conversation. I think you are going to love it. This conversation and others are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Guys, this is not my full-time job, so your help and your support of the show makes it possible for me to dedicate the hours and hours and hours it takes to produce this podcast week after week. So I appreciate your helping to underpin this show. If you feel called to do that, those links are in the show notes. And we're on a bit of a a, a, a downswing recently in people supporting the show. So I appreciate your your prayers, your listening, and your financial support to keep this thing going week after week. And thank you. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Father Daniel Maria Kilmack on how to love Mary more deeply for Catholics, for Protestants. <laughs> We're all welcome here. This is an amazing conversation. Please listen and enjoy.
Hey friends, welcome to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are watching on YouTube, welcome. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the bell to get notified of new videos come out. Leave some comments, like this video, do all those fun things you do on YouTube and be nice, please, in those comments. And thanks for watching. If you are listening on podcasts, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify because that helps to push the podcast out to new listeners and they're going to want to hear this episode, guys. It's going to be incredible. Uh, I am joined by Father Daniel Marie. Maria Klimek. He is a Franciscan friar, assistant professor of theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. He has a doctorate in spirituality with distinction from the Catholic University of America and a master's of arts in religion from Yale Divinity School. Uh, he has a number of fine books, including Medjugorje and the Supernatural, published by Oxford University Press, which won a faculty award for excellence in scholarship. Well done, Father. And for our purposes here today, a fantastic new book out from Emmaus Road Press. For the love of Mary, it's it's, it's amazing. Uh, we're going to have an awesome conversation. So, Father, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show, and hello. Thank you so much, Keith. It's a pleasure to be with you, and just thank you for, for your own work and for all that you're doing with this show and for the faith and just spreading knowledge about Catholicism. So I just want to affirm you as well. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Father. Look, I'm excited to have you on the show this week because there are certain books that come across my desk here in the studio that I see the title, I, I read the, the kind of the description on the, on the jacket, and I go, my gosh, I got to have this guy on the show right away. And I drop everything and I, and I get in touch and, and book you on the show. And this father is one of those books because uh, I'm an evangelical convert to Catholicism. Well, listeners to this show are people who are on that path, dipping their toes in the Tiber, as it were, looking at the Catholic faith from the outside or, or new Catholics from the inside. And the number one thing that I hear from listeners, that I hear from guests on this show who have made the journey, are listeners who are asking questions that, that write into the show, they're all to do with Mary. I got to say probably 80% of the things that the people who have objections to the faith, who are so close, but just not quite there, uh, Mary is that stumbling block, as it were, to becoming Catholic for many, many uh, non-Catholic Christians. And I can understand this, uh, this hesitation, and I, I've called it before on the show, this almost this allergy Father, that non-Catholic Christians have to idolatry. Uh, you know, I, I spent my large part of my uh, teenage years in a Pentecostal church that was inside it very plain. We had one cross on the wall. That was all we had for decoration. It's off to the side, not even in the front, kind of off to the side, because we were really allergic to idolatry. We didn't want anything to even become even close to becoming in, in the place of, of Jesus. Nothing, not even any kind of, even, even the picture of, of a crucifix or, or a cross was central. And I think that's a good inclination in a sense to avoid idolatry, but it becomes this extreme thing for many Protestant Christians, and it becomes to uh, detrimental when it comes to, to things that, uh, things like, like Mary or, or the saints. We're so allergic to even even getting close to idolatry that we're, we're scared of even approaching anything that looks like it might get in the way of Jesus. And we misunderstand the saints. We misunderstand Mary. And that becomes, for so many non-Catholic Christians, this ultimate kind of stumbling block. So when, when a book called for the Love of Mary, all about growing in, in love for uh, our Blessed Mother, uh, you know, comes into my hands 
That is something that I know listeners are going to want to dig into and understand how, what it means, why, because so many listeners are are at that kind of precipice and don't know how to understand Mary. So on your shoulders, Father, falls this enormous burden of, of, of explaining exactly how all these listeners can sort out all of the problems uh, in one, you know, one easy to understand uh, a book or podcast episode. So, so, so thank you, Father. Oh, beloved Jesus, help me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, no, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I have in common there is I'm also allergic to idolatry. <laughs> and that's why one very quick um, caricature, stereotype, um, false perception about Marian devotion and Catholicism is that we Catholics do not actually worship Mary. We actually have very specific expressions of worship coming from uh, the ancient Greek and Latin terms. There's these three uh, words, uh, dulia, hyperdulia, and latria. Dulia means veneration, and it means that we venerate the saints. It's a word that's used towards the saints. And by venerate them, we are acknowledging that they are in heaven. They stand before the throne of God. They're able to pray for us, to intercede for us. But the graces still come from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like saying to a friend of yours, will you pray for me? Here's my intention. And we acknowledge that with that expression, we can say to friends who are on this side of paradise, or we can say to friends who are in eternity asking for their intercession. And then hyperdulia, it's an expression that we use for the mother of Jesus, for Our Lady. It means that she's higher than the saints, um, and we venerate her in a special and unique way, but she's still be below, way below Latria, which is the expression that we use for the worship of God. God is the only one that can be worshipped. He is the creator. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus also gave one woman a very unique mission, a very unique participation in salvation history. There is one woman out of every person or every woman in the history of the human race who can say that she is mother of God, her fiat, her yes, as expressed in the Gospel of Luke, uh, given to the angel Gabriel, when he asked her whether she will say yes to the mission, she said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. And with that yes, she becomes the mother of gods. And notice how it's so biblical, it's so biblically present. Um, First chapter of Gospel of Luke, not only not only do we see the um, angelic salutation, the angel Gabriel speaking to Our Lady, but we see the visitation with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, when Our Lady calls out, filled with the Spirit, she exclaims, uh, blessed are you amongst women, and how is it that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? So right there, mother of my Lord, the acknowledgement 
acknowledgement that she is mother of God. And where does the wisdom come from? It doesn't come from Elizabeth as a as a uh, type of natural knowledge. It comes as an inspiration, supernatural inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit fell upon her to illuminate her. And then what happens? We have the Magnificat. Our Lady sings her praise. She sings her song to the Lord. And one of the lines in that song is, All generations shall call me blessed. And hence, it's biblical that she is mother of God, that all generations throughout history will call her blessed. It is so uh, scripturally oriented, Marian devotion. If we think about even the uh, rosary, praying the rosary, if we think about the prayers around the rosary, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters may be uncomfortable with it because it's a repetition of uh, Hail Marys with the Our Father. And ultimately, the rosary has been called the Bible on beads. Because once again, the Hail Mary, the first part of the Hail Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. That is the angel Gabriel speaking in the Gospel of Luke. That is scripture. Notice how he calls her full of grace. That is also a very unique, important statement that speaks to her personhood. The only individuals who were full of grace were Adam and Eve before they sinned. They had a full communion with God. So in that statement, there's an implicit support for the fact that she was immaculately conceived, that she was not deprived of grace, that she has special, unique status as the immaculate conception, and as we saw, the mother of God. And therefore, that this woman is special and does have, for a very purposeful reason, a separate category of devotion, hyperjulia. Once again, it doesn't divinize her. We're not saying that she's God. She's not. That would be heresy in Catholicism and every Christian uh, denomination. But we are saying that she has a unique role in salvation history and that Jesus himself gave us Marian devotion. You know, if you think about the passion narrative in the gospel of John, of St. John, uh, you have that beautiful exchange, the final gift that Jesus gives us from the cross before he dies. He looks at the beloved disciple and he says, behold, your mother. And John represents every beloved disciple. Jesus is in giving us in that moment a sacred inheritance. Not only through our baptism do we receive sonship and daughtership in association to God the Father, but God the Father also has chosen to give us a spiritual mother. And, you know, the passage continues to say, and he took her into his own home. Uh, Pope St. John Paul II in his great Marian encyclical, uh, Redemptorist Mater, he says how the language there in the original Greek, he took her into his own home, actually has a deeper spiritual meaning, that it doesn't just mean 
one dimensionally the physical home, but it actually means he took her into his interior life. He took her into his spiritual life, that she became someone who became a teacher for St. John the Apostle, being the woman who was closest to Jesus, who was full of grace, who was therefore filled with supernatural wisdom from God, and therefore to love her, to appreciate her, to venerate her. This is nothing more than pure biblical theology. <laughs> well, well done, Father. That was beautifully said. I, I, I got, I got to say, I, a couple of weeks ago on the show, I had a married couple on the show talking about their conversion to Catholicism, their mutual journey into the Catholic faith. This married couple, Father, and I was struck by in that conversation how the the wife kept looking at her husband and the look on her face of admiration and love and joy as he spoke, and I and I'm struck, Father, honestly by the look on your face. As you speak about uh, our blessed mother, is that is the same look? It's the same look that 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 she had in her face, looking at her husband and, ta- and her, hearing him talk and talking about him. I, you got on your face, father, and I, that just struck, strikes me as uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> that, that that is so that is so beautiful. Thank you for noticing that, Keith. Like she is, um, she is the love of my life. You know, I have found Jesus Christ through her. I have found my priestly vocation through her. She has saved my life a couple times. So she has been there from the beginning. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes say that whenever I'm preaching a homily, the easiest sermons for me to give are sermons on Marian holidays. I don't even have to prepare anything. It just comes out of me because when you're in love, it just radiates from your being and you can speak about the person with such affection and such authenticity. And I'm so glad that uh, that's noticeable. <laughs> Absolutely. And I got to say, this is this is it, Father. I mean, this is the thing that I, meant, I said before. There's so many, uh, especially I'm thinking new Catholics. Like, there's so many of, of us who become Catholic believing what the Catholic Church says that it is, right? You, you, you find the Catholic Church, you believe the claims it makes, you become Catholic. But, but many of us don't have everything figured out, nor should we have to have it all figured out to become Catholic, right? There's a point where you have to just trust the, the claims of the Church and, and commit to that and trust that everything else the Church says is true based on based on you accepting the, the the truth of that first claim that it is what it says that it is and the things it teaches on mary and, and the saints and the eucharist and we don't have to always understand those things to commit to becoming catholic uh, many of us don't have it all figured out we become catholic and those things we work out and many times evangelicals will convert to Catholicism not having Mary totally understood. And some kind of go the route of, well, I don't have to have a deep Marian devotion. I can be Catholic and, and Mary can be there in, in my life, but I don't have to have a, I, you know, I can be Catholic without Mary being a huge thing in my life. And I, I maybe thought that way when I first became Catholic. But as I have done this show for, for four years, uh, re- re- blogged about these kind of things for, for many more years than that, uh, talked to more and more Catholic people and Catholic converts and, and wise Catholics like you, Father, I, I have, I've come to understand that if you want to be Catholic, you've got to be Catholic and embrace all of it. And you're, you're losing out on the riches of the faith if you don't honestly try to wholeheartedly 
go for it. And again, Mary is one of those things that is scary for new Catholics to, to approach, terrifying for non-Catholic Christians to approach, but scary for new Catholics to approach, especially when you talk about having this relationship with her and deepening that. You talk about how she led you to your vocation, and she, she saved you before, and she introduced you to Jesus. These things seem a bit scary for the, the new Catholic who might go, but how, how, can, you, how can she do that? She's not, she's not quote-unquote, alive. I can't call her up on, on, and, and talk to her like I could to my friend or I, or I could to you, Father. So I want me to start there. How, how do we talk about a relationship with somebody like Mary? How, what do we mean when we say a relationship, and how does that work when the person's not a living person in front of us? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a uh, intimate, long distance relationship. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, she's uh, in heaven. She is more alive than we are. And what's what fascinated me about her was um, when I was uh, when I was a college student. You know, I was a bit of an agnostic. I wasn't sure whether God exists. And I was taking a New Testament class and I was studying about the miracles of Jesus and his resurrection. And I was thinking to myself, for me to say yes, to say yes to Jesus, I need the miracles to be real. I need the resurrection to be real. I need the incarnation to be real. I need the supernatural to be real. Or else he's just like any other moral teacher, whether it's Socrates or Buddha or whomever, um, I need to see is the supernatural mystical dimension of Christianity real. And for me, interestingly, that uh, dilemma and that question was solved through Mother Mary, because um, throughout history, the Lord Jesus has decided to send her uh, in the form of Marian apparitions, so supernatural appearances to contemporary people, uh, Guadalupe, Mexico, Lourdes, France, Fatima, Portugal. And I read a book about uh, the village of Medjugorje in Bosnia-Herzegovina, where in 1981, uh, six Croatian uh, teenagers, one of them a 10-year-old child, um, reported um, apparitions, visitations from the Virgin Mary from heaven. And in her messages, when she appears in uh, any of these apparition sites, she leads people to Jesus. She leads them to the Mass, to the Eucharist. She leads them to conversion. And, and what's also important, I think this is so vital, she's a mom. You know, the Lord in his wisdom, God in his sacred wisdom, he has given us a family. He has, he has said to us that through your baptism, you are baptized not only to have a father, but also you are part of the mystical body. You have innumerable brothers and sisters in heaven who are saints, who are praying for you, who are interceding for you. And you also have a mother, a spiritual mother. And I, I really want to stress this because, you know, I'm a spiritual director. I see a lot of people. Uh, who, who comes to me for uh, spiritual guidance. And so many suffer from father wounds. So many suffer from that great wounds. And that wounds often makes a relationship with God the Father difficult. But 
what can actually facilitate a relationship with the divine when that wound is present is to go to Our Lady, go to our spiritual mother, have her maternal tenderness lead you to Jesus and lead you to the Father. So much of it is a relationship of prayer. You know, as we speak to our Lord Jesus, we also need to speak to our spiritual mother. She is there before the throne of God. There's, and literally in the biblical tradition, when you think about the Old Testament queens, in the biblical tradition, the queen is not the wife, it is the queen mother. It is the queen mother. And in that sense, our lady constitutes a continuation of that sacred biblical tradition, even seen in heaven, where Jesus is the king of kings and the queen mother who sits on his right, so to speak. That's our lady. And like a relationship with him, it necessitates prayer, it necessitates conversation, it necessitates meditating on his sufferings at Calvary, on her sufferings at the foot of the cross, and really cultivating that relationship, a relationship that is personable and and deeply affectionate. (laughs) Very well said, Father. I I like how these miracles, these Marian apparitions and messages from Mary that began to draw you into Christ as they should, of course, right? That that makes sense because none of these these valid apparitions of Mary that the church says, yes, this seems like this is this is legitimate. Uh, the church, of course, doesn't force us to believe in these things, right? As we know, I've had recent discussions with uh, Michael O'Neill, the miracle hunter on this show, talking about Marian apparitions. Uh, awesome stories uh, he has to tell. The church doesn't force these things down on our throats and say, you must believe all these Marian apparitions. But the church, in its wisdom, says, yes, here are some that are, are worthy to believe in, that seem like they're legitimate, that seem to correspond with what the Bible says, and the church says about, about God and, and, and the relationship between Mary and God and the, and the saints and these kinds of things. But always, always when Mary is uh, appearing, it's, it's pointing back to Christ, right? And I love how, in your case, that drew you <laughs> deeper into Christ quite directly through those the supernatural elements uh, of those miracles, right? That's, yes. that's beautiful. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. It's the reality that the miracles of the 20th and 21st century, um, which were which come from Jesus through Our Lady's intercession, they vindicated for me the reality of Jesus's miracles in first century Palestine. They were able to show me that the resurrection and his healings and his various miracles, they are not some construct of human imagination, but a burning real um, reality that is vindicated by uh, the mother of God and how she still continues through her son, through his sacred name, through his sacred power to intercede for uh, for the miracles of today. <laughs> you know, I want to mention this later, but I want to jump on this now because I can't, I can't wait to ask you this question because I think it's, it's an interesting route in and it reflects in, in a sense my, my own journey and something, Father, that always intrigued me about, about Mary and her kind of uh, where she w- fit in the economy of salvation and the, and the history of, of these different things, like where she fit in salvation history, was her role in, in exorcisms 
and, mm. and the demonic. And as a as an evangelical Christian looking into the Catholic faith, I could never ever square the fact that we as evangelicals viewed Mary as she was the God bearer. She was very important for a, for a time in history. And then that was it. We didn't see her as having a continuing role or an importance beyond that that one event. Now, mind you, we had to ignore a lot of actual biblical evidence, as you say. To me. Like, there's a lot in the Bible that speaks to her role that we had to kind of put blinders on and kind of ignore, in in a sense, or not notice very very carefully. But we we saw her role as this singular role, one and done, and that was it. And Christ was that was the focus then, and she vanished into into the background. But then you, you get to these accounts of exorcisms and these Marian apparitions and things that I could not explain in my, in my paradigm. I thought, well, if, if an exorcist can evoke Mary's name or pray the rosary in an exorcism and, and the demon trembles and that affects the demon, well, what's going on there? Mary must be more than I thought she was as a Protestant Christian. There, there's something more going on there that made me kind of pause and go, okay, what is this? And the more I think that is thought of and rethought of and thought of more deeply, the evangelical Christian has to kind of go, well, okay, so Mary must be more than than my faith tradition says that 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 she is. Can we go down that road for a minute? And I, I want to come back to more questions I have, but this one's just burning in my soul to ask you just now, fathers. Her role in in the supernatural, the spiritual battlefield. Tell us more about that because that is so interesting. Yeah, isn't it fascinating? Yeah, my gosh. When I was writing this book, I was thinking to myself, "What are what are Marian books missing?" And I thought to myself, "We seldom see an author write about her role as." a warrior, warrior queen in the spiritual battle. And ironically, it's present in the bookends of scripture. You have it in uh, Genesis 3.15, that it is a woman uh, who will stomp on the serpent. And the Lord says that he will put enmity between the serpent and the woman. It's one of the earliest uh, allusions and prophecies to, uh, to Our Lady, and then the book of Revelation, chapter 12, all about the battle between the woman and the dragon. And then you see the reality, as you're saying, Keith, in exorcisms. Um, there have been um, a number of exorcisms um, where the exorcism is coming to an end. The demon is about to uh, be expelled or demons. Most of the time it's plural um, because the mother of God just appeared in the room and her presence at times is palpable. In the book, I quote a testimony from a woman who was demonically possessed and demonically afflicted and in her testimony, she she writes about um, feeling the presence of the demon within and then feeling the pain that he experienced when the mother of Jesus Christ made herself known in the room. And the reality is that demons cannot stand to be in the presence of someone so sacred, someone who has such a unique and special relationship with God as the mother of God, as the Immaculate Conception. Because Our Lady, 
as the Queen of Heaven. Uh, she's also someone who would Saint Michael the Archangel, as the book of Revelation chapter 12 expresses, is a leader, is a leader um, um, a, a of the heavenly armies uh, of the angels uh, to do battle against uh, Satan and his fallen angels. And you see it also, interestingly, in etymology. You know, the, the devil, one of his names is Lucifer. And Lucifer is a word that literally means uh, light bearer because he was created as God's uh, brightest angel uh, filled with lights. And Our Lady, uh, in contradistinction, becomes the true light bearer because she bears Christ, because she says yes to the incarnation. And there's this question. The question is, why did the angels who became demons, why did they fall? Why did they say no to gods? And it's a question that the church fathers and many theologians have wrestled with. And the most prominent theory is that the issue at the, at the center of controversy was the incarnation. Um, you have it uh, implied in chapter 12 of Revelation. Um, there is a passage that speaks about uh, the dragon with his tail um, wiping down uh, one-thirds of the stars, uh, taking out the fallen angels with him who became demons, and then that he was ready to... Uh, to attack the child as the woman was giving birth to him. So this is kind of a segue to the incarnation. And the idea is that angels, because they are pure spirits, because they do not have bodies, they have a higher angelic intellect, and that it would have been an offense, it would have been offensive to the pride of certain angels to realize that God himself is taking the form of a human being, which is a creature that is lesser than they are, and that they would have to worship God in the form of a human, and that they would have to assist humans um, in the work of salvation. So the idea that for Lucifer, who uh, became guilty of pride and some of the other angels guilty of pride and envy, this led to the fall, because they're pure spirits, because they do not have bodies, their sin could not have been of a bodily nature, like lust or gluttony. So it would have to be of an intellectual nature, such as envy or pride, which it was. And here, you also see the contradistinction between Lucifer's non-servium, I will not serve, you know, perhaps most poetically expressed in John Milton's Paradise Lost, where he depicts Lucifer as this prideful angel who says to God, it is better to serve in, it, it is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. This idea that his ego was so massive that for him, it would be better to serve to reign and to be the first one in an inferior realm than a superior one. You know, when I try to explain it to the students, I say to the students, 
I'm from Chicago. It's as if I was to say I would rather be the leader of a Chicago street gang than go to the University of Chicago Medical School because in medical school, I won't be the smartest. I won't be number one. I'll have competitors. Uh, but in the street gang, I can be first place. And so my ego takes me to an inferior realm. And here we see, yes, the narcissism of Lucifer, but also in contradistinction, the great humility of Our Lady. She contradicts him in every way, especially to her fiat. In her fiat, she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. She explains, I will serve and I will welcome Jesus. I will welcome the Messiah. The fallen angel said no to the incarnation. Her yes said yes to the incarnation and allowed God to bring himself into the world. So she is sacred and he has assigned her as a warrior queen, even in the uh, that biblical tradition that both king and queen were war- warrior figures. And so, so I love how even uh, in the imagery of Marian statues and arts, she's often depicted in honoring Genesis 3.15 with a serpent under her foot, uh, whom she stops, whom she stomps. And it's a representation uh, which has been uh, very uh, vividly expressed in uh, lived experiences during exorcisms that she has immense majestic, royal, divine power bestowed by Jesus Christ in the spiritual battle. <laughs> well said, Father. And one way to get little young young boys to love Mary more is to show them that statue of Mary crushing that snake with her foot. <laughs> Every young boy is like, yes, that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's it's funny. It's funny, Keith, that you said you know every young boy because sometimes I think to myself, masculinity. Yeah. You know, how do you attract men yeah. uh, to Marian devotion or Our Lady? And I was thinking about the book um, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Uh, beautiful work on masculinity, and he has a section where he speaks about three pillars to masculinity. He says three things that appeal to the male psyche. He said, one, to have a beauty to fight for, a woman to fight for. So there you go, the queen of heaven, the most (laughs) beautiful woman, to have an adventure to be a part of, the great adventure of Christianity, of the faith. And three, to be part of a battle. Because the male spirit, there's a fighter inside. There's a fighter who desires to be part of a battle, to be part of this narrative of lightness versus dark versus darkness. That's why so many of these epic films from Lord of the Rings to Star Wars appeal to human nature because there's something about it that speaks to our own existential reality. One of our uh, famous priests, Father Michael Scanlon, he once wrote that the the meaning of life is that life is a battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And in the end, we will all be judged by how well we did as soldiers in the battle. And I think that that appeals to, to boys, to men, to that male psyche that just desires that adventure, that beauty to fight for, and just uh, the battle to be a part of. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And one thing 
you do it that you talk about that I thought was so I- interesting is the idea of Mary as the Ark of the Covenant, this important connection mm-hmm. between Mary and the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant with the Israelites in the wilderness, and how the Old Testament narrative, that Ark was often marched into battle with the Israelites. Yes. And here's Mary, the new Ark of the Covenant, uh, which I came across the writings of, of Brant Petrie a, a decade ago mm-hmm. and just absolutely fell in love with the idea of Mary as the Ark of the Covenant when I saw those connections being made. Of course, the Church Fathers made these connections as, as well throughout history. He wasn't doing a new thing. He was putting it in, in, in a new way that I hadn't seen before uh, as a new Catholic at that time. But that connection between Mary and the Ark, and then the Ark as this thing that marches into battle with the Israelites. Can you can you put those pieces together for us, Father? Because I think, I think that that is beautifully said on, on your part. Amazing connection to make there. I, I love that. And such a, a foundational thing to understand about Mary that I think begins to allow the new Catholic, the, the non-Catholic Christian maid, to really appreciate uh, the, the biblical basis for why we say Mary is who she says she is and so important. So, so Ark of the Covenant, like where does that come from, first of all? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so we speak uh, we speak um, about typology in the Bible. So a type uh, can be an image or a symbol or a figure that prefigures or prophesies um, a greater uh, person in the New Testament. So there are types for Jesus. There are types for Mary. For example, David um, is a type for Jesus in many ways. But the Ark of the Covenant, especially a type for Our Lady, uh, the Ark of the Covenant carries within itself the manna, the bread that the Lord um, brought down from heaven to feed the Israelites as they were in the deserts. And it carries within itself the staff of Aaron, which uh, represents the Levitical priesthoods. And the Ark also has the tablets of the uh, Ten Commandments. So in the manna, you see the bread of life, which can be uh, personified in the New Testament, in the Eucharist. In the tablets, you see the word of God, which, of course, is Jesus himself, the preexistent word, the prologue to the Gospel of John. Um, In the beginning was the word and the word was God. And then, of course, the staff of Aaron that represents the Levitical priesthoods. And Jesus is the eternal high priest. And, of course, Our Lady carried the Lord Jesus in her womb. She becomes the Ark of the New Covenant. She she gives him his human flesh. And it is that human flesh that is sacrificed for us at Calvary and also from which eventually we receive the gift of the Eucharist. She allows him to come into the world and become the eternal priest. He always was the eternal priest, but to really actualize it and bring his priesthood into our worlds. And of course, he is the word. He, God speaks and it comes into being. He is his word, and his word comes in through her in the form of incarnation. And as he says, Keith, so often the Israelites, when they went into battle, they took the ark with themselves 
for for the supernatural victories that can come through the power of the presence of God that the ark carries within. So when Our Lady shows up for battle, the ark of the new covenants, whether it's spiritual warfare, whether it's exorcism, whether it's fighting temptations and praying for her intercession, you have the woman who carried God in her womb. You have the new ark of the covenants. You have his divine power acting through her. And therefore you have... um, literally one of the most powerful intercessors you can possibly have. So she becomes a a personification of the the beautiful ancient typology of the, uh, the Ark that is present in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, I can remember when I when I read, I think it was Scott Hahn's uh, "Hail Holy Queen" for the first mm-hmm. time, and his account, just how he puts the the Gospel of Luke and the visitation of Mary and Elizabeth, kind of in parallel with with David and the Ark coming to, to meet him. The the parallels were were unshakable. Like there's there's no way around this being a mistake. Even look, Father, even for the for the the ardent Protestant who says. Who who denies any uh, importance of Mary beyond being the 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 God bearer in in that sense, giving giving birth to Jesus? The Protestant still says that Scripture is inspired by God, and that's very important for the Protestant. The Protestant can't get around the fact that if Scripture is inspired, what's going on there? Because there's such parallels there. I mean, that's got to make somebody go, okay, if Scripture is inspired. Mary has got to be something going on here with Mary because these passages, the Ark of the Covenant here, Mary, uh, you know, with, with Christ uh, in her womb, meeting Elizabeth, the parallels there are, are just off the charts. <laughs> right, Father? Is that fair to say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. D- D- David, David danced in front of the Ark and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, excuse me, and John the Baptist leaped in front of the Ark of the New Covenant, that is Our Lady. And notice how the Ark carries with itself the presence and the power of God. And notice how in the visitation with, with Elizabeth and in Luke, when Our Lady simply speaks, the presence of God falls upon her. The Spirit overcomes her, and she starts speaking in the Spirit, calling her the Mother of my Lords. So where Our Lady goes, the presence of God goes with her because she carries him within as did the ark in the in the old testaments i i love it okay so somebody's standing on the precipice of wanting to love mary more okay father they 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 pick up your book they're looking for guidance here what what are kind of because you don't give us a 12-step program to how to love mary more which i love that you don't do that i love that what instead you do is just show us facets of our Blessed Mother, glimpses of, of ways we can love her more through different, through through pieces of things we could cling on to. And, and I love it. I think it's fantastic what you do here, Father. But I wonder what you'd say to somebody who, who wants to begin this journey and say, okay, Father, I, I want to begin to love Mary more. I, I'm a new Catholic. I'm a non-Catholic, kind of skeptical about this. I've been Catholic for a bit and have kind of put Mary to the side, not really fully appreciated her and, and, and her role. Where do I begin to fall more deeply in love with with Our Lady? Where, where do we start? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Uh, you know, I, I think that first, it's so important how we address her because um, so often when somebody does not have a deep or intimate relationship with her, they often can refer to her when they're addressing her in their prayer by her first name, Mary. 
And one of my chapters, uh, the first chapter I emphasize, I actually don't like calling her by her first name because what type of a child would call their mother by their first name? You know, I'm not such a postmodernist myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so my, my point there is first just to acknowledge she's your mom and do not be afraid to refer to her with affectionate terminology. Call her mom. Call her uh, my beloved mother. Call her something that brings a type of uh, intimate expression. You know, one of the uh, pages, uh, it quotes the Marian visionaries of Kibeho, Rwanda, where uh, in 1981, they received Marian apparitions. The, it became the first Marian apparition site on the African continent to re- receive church approval. And at first, it scandalized the people a bit when they heard how these teenage visionaries referred to her when they spoke to her during the apparitions. They would call her things like, my beloved, my darling, mom. And when the people asked them, how can you refer to the mother of God this way? One of the visionaries said, because she wants us to talk to her, not like she's our principal or boss, but like she's our mom. And I thought to myself, that's beautiful. (laughs) The wisdom of a simple teenage visionary that transcends the wisdom of any erudite faculty of theology here. And so how you refer to her, how you speak to her. It is so important. Do not be afraid to use terms of endearment because she's your mom and she cares for you deeply, but also practicing a spirituality that I call in the book, the presence of Mary, the presence of Mary is a spirituality, a meditative spirituality where um, if you are a visual person Imagine her as if she was standing by you and speak to her from the heart. Share with her your emotions, your feelings, your vulnerabilities, the sufferings of the day, the joys of the day, the blessings of the day. Because you cannot have intimacy with any person if you do not walk the path of vulnerability, if you do not open your heart, open your soul to them. And that's a spirituality that leads to a prayer of the heart. Speak to her from the heart. Cultivate that daily relationship of speaking to her. And also, I would say, meditate on how much she had to suffer at the foot of the cross. You know, I think that's one of the gifts that Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, gave us, where it was such a beautiful and vivid Marian devotion. You notice how much the mother suffered with the son. And when you meditate on that, it can be a breakthrough. You know, I've had difficult pastoral situations where a... um, A child in the family dies, um, a son dies, the mother weeps, uh, the family weeps, they have the funeral. And at at the funeral, when you're preaching, what can you say when a family just um, lost their son? What can you possibly say? And I remember this one situation. I was visiting. um, I just drove in from Steubenville to Chicago because somebody who I knew 
um, from my childhood died from COVID. Uh, he was my age. His mother was weeping. His family were weeping. Um, the funeral was taking place. And I remember I got into the sacristy. I greeted the priest. I said to him, I'm here. I can't celebrate if you're okay with that. I, I knew him when I was growing up. And the priest said to me, do you want to preach? And I, you know, I didn't prepare anything, but um, I hesitated maybe for three seconds. And then I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And I said that I that I'll do it for a couple of reasons. First, authentic preaching. It doesn't come from the books. It doesn't come from classroom learning. It comes from the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. If you are filled with a spirit of prayer, the anointing of God will speak through you. But also in this situation, I knew I have a strong relationship with our mother of sorrows, our lady of sorrows. And she is someone who knows what it means to lose her son, not only lose her son, but see him horribly humiliated, tortured, abandoned, mistreated in front of her uh, to the very end. And therefore, if there's anything that you can say to this family right now is, turn to the mother of sorrows, turn to our lady. She understands the pains of your heart. She knows what you're going through. She had to go through the same thing. She lost her precious child, killed in front of her, her sorrowful heart, excuse me, her sorrowful heart. Allow your pains and your wounds and your sufferings to be uh, united with her sorrowful hearts. Because where her wounds meet our wounds at the foot of the cross, that's a place of great intimacy. Come before the Lord in prayer and speak to his mother as well. Meditate on being there in front of the cross. Meditate on being um, at Calvary, in front of Jesus crucified. Meditate that Our Lady is by your sides. And as you're meditating, imagine that you are giving her your pains, your sorrows, your anxieties, your grief, and say, Mother, I give it to you. I share with your grief, Mother. I know how painful it is. And really allow her to enter into those places of suffering, to console them, to be a living presence who will say, my dear child, I embrace you and I'm praying for you before my son and I love you. You are not walking alone. So in that sense, give that to her. Give your vulnerability. <laughs> oh, electric father, electric. I, 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 the, 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 the room is just charged here. Uh, thank you for that. that that's that's, that's, a, that's a Holy Spirit electricity. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna ask you about the the, the suffering of Mary, but you've answered the question in, in advance, Father, uh, beautifully there. Because I think in those times there 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 can be such a union with Mary and and her suffering, and I think that's that's beautiful. Because of course, who suffered more than the the mother watching her son be be crucified and and die for us? I mean, that's just that that's. That's crazy to meditate on and then think that that she can then actually pray for us and suffer kind of alongside mm. with us and there's a unity in that in that suffering. I mean that I think is is so powerful in so many situations from from the mundane kind of suffering to the serious loss of a of a spouse or or a child or or a friend like 
there's so much in there that I think is so beautiful, Father. And I, I think, too, just on the titles of our Blessed Mother, the ways we can, we can, we can talk to her, uh, I have a great devotion to Our Lady, the Undoer of Knots. I, I was kind of, uh, Pope Francis spoke of that early on in his pontificate, and I was becoming a new Catholic around that time, and I kind of attached to that idea of Mary as the undoer, undoer of knots, and it kept kind of, kept kind of coming up in different places and contexts, and so it was kind of hitting me over the head for a while. I thought, okay, I, I need to pay more attention t- to this. And I'll tell you what, Father, when I, on my own journey, and I've told the story on the show before, but I think it bears repeating, on my own journey in into the faith, I did a lot of the work ahead of time before my wife was kind of uh, let in on the secret of me becoming Catholic. I, I would stay up till, till three in the morning sometimes in the early days of YouTube, binging our CIA lecture videos or, or Scott Hahn lectures or Journey Home episodes, learning about the Catholic faith kind of in, in, in secret in, in large part for a while. Uh, unsure what my wife would think of this. I didn't really want to broach it. I was a little bit nervous. We were her and I together in our, in our even juggle faith for, since we were, we were married. Before we were married, we, we met at church, basically. And that was, wow. that was deeply a thing of deep unity for us. So I was scared to broach the subject with her and say, hey, look, I'm a, I think I'm in Catholic. I think I'm at the point of no return. I, I, have, to, I have to commit. And when, when I did, when I, when I finally mentioned it to her and brought that up, we had a great big argument, uh, our, our biggest probably ever we've ever had. We didn't, we didn't fight a lot and don't fight a lot, but this was, this was a fight. And and she left the room and slept in the couch that night, and I slept in the in the in the bed. That doesn't seem fair, but it, that's what what happened in, in hindsight. And that was the first time, Father, that I ever actually asked uh, our Blessed Mother to to pray for me. And I and I kind of prayed, you know, Our Lady, undoer of knots. Here's a great big knot I, that I've gotten myself into. You know, I did all this legwork of looking at the Catholic faith. I, I kind of committed to it and then told my wife. And it was a dumb way of doing things. It was totally backwards. And I thought, how am I ever going to get out of this? And I, and I asked Our Lady, undoer of knots, to, to, to pray for me. And that was my first kind of you know, Marian prayer, I guess you'd say. And the, the next morning, my wife came back in, in the room. You know, we'd slept on it. We'd kind of calmed down a little bit. And, and all, all these things that I had been talking about, the reasons why I wanted to become Catholic, that she was very skeptical of, that she pushed back against, that she was kind of angry. How could you ever, ever believe this? That the church teaches this and this and this, and, and the church is totally backwards, and there's no way I'll ever become Catholic. You know, all, all these things. She came to me that morning and said, actually, you know what? I, I was thinking what you said. And, you know, the church believes this, and that makes a lot of sense. And the church believes this, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And she began to unpack these things. And it turns out, Father, that she had been up downstairs on the computer doing research for hours on, on the Catholic Church to kind, of, to kind of refute things that I was, I was telling her, but ended up kind of beginning to convince herself that maybe there's so, some truth in this. And a year later, she became Catholic as well. And now we're raising a Catholic family, and we love we love the faith, and we're deep into it together. But that interaction with Mary, really my first one there, where I where I prayed to her as un, undoer of knots and said, "Please help." And the next morning, like this this knot that I thought Father would never ever get undone, it seemed so so helpless, uh, so hopeless, so so impossible that my wife would ever begin to think about the Catholic faith and, and concede that there's some reality in there, let alone a year later become Catholic. Like the fact that that knot became undone so quickly and so beautifully, I, I, was, I was convinced like on the spot 
of the power of, of our relationship with Mary and the power of, of her prayers. And since then, I mean, I, I, I tell that story just to show, I mean, the, the, the power that she holds and, and the beauty of the different titles that she can intercede for us under, right? That's, that's one of them. But there are so many different, different ways we can enter into our relationship with, with, with Mary based on the titles that the, the church has, has shared with us. Right? Does yeah. does that does that make sense? Those those kind of inroads yeah. towards to, to our blessed mother. Yeah, yeah, it does, it does, and thank you for sharing that, Keith. That is such a beautiful, beautiful experience of Marian intercession and her closeness, her closeness to you, her closeness even in that moment to to your wife to inspire her yeah. through uh through the the spouse, the Holy Spirit, to to an openness to Catholicism. I mean, that is just, uh, yeah, yeah. That is a, um, a a divine intervention uh, from the Mother of God that I feel has blessed not only your family, your marriage, but I feel it's also something that is part of the mission that you have right now with this podcast and the work that you're doing for, for the faith. So I think it's all an extension that uh, begins with her sacred intercession. And yeah, with the, with the titles, as you said, the titles speak to us. Uh, the titles, uh, can identify so many aspects of her identity and diversity and devotion in Fatima. She came as queen of the rosary. In Lord, she came as the Immaculate Conception. In Medjugorje, Queen of Peace. And sometimes the titles speak to um, even personal, but even anthropological realities. You know, in uh, in Medjugorje, in that region of Yugoslavia, there was such a horrible yeah. history of conflict, wars, uh, ethnic divisions, religious divisions, and to come with the title Queen of Peace, you know, to say that you will find peace when you return to my son Jesus, and to try to usher that in. Because oftentimes we speak about things like political turmoil, economic depression, but the greatest depression that the world is experiencing is a spiritual depression. And ultimately, that's where Our Lady wants to work the transformation, beginning with our hearts, then extending to our families, then every person in our circle of influence that can be touched by grace because you have said yes to prayer, you have said yes to our message, to a message that puts Jesus at the center of your life. <laughs> well well said, Father. I want to ask you one more thing. I want to preface it this way, Father, uh, in closing. I, the, the more that I, I, I do this show and talk with converts and, and, and look at the Catholic faith as a Catholic, but try and see it from the outside, how others can see it and, and approach it and appreciate it more and become convinced of the reality of the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith that, that Christ established. The, the more I think that the one, I mean, I guess, victory that Satan has had over, over the world, has, has tricked the world, is to leading this whole sect of Christianity, the, the Protestant Church, kind of writ large, into believing that Mary is not as important as us Catholics say that she is. I think it's a it's a terrible victory that Satan has has somehow wrought out of the Reformation and the Protestant and the you know this Protestant 
revolution, I think, because that the, the, the access to, to Mary and who she is and the heart that she has for the whole world to bring, to bring us all to Christ is, is lost in so it's a large swath of Christianity. And I think that's diabolical in nature. I think that that's, that's gotta be one of the satanic, I mean, this sounds crazy maybe, I don't know, Father, but one of the satanic fruits of, of the Reformation is to somehow cleave off Mary from, from a large part of the, the, the Christian church. And I think it's, it, it's a huge loss, and I wonder, Father, as 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 Catholics who understand and appreciate and are trying to dig 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 more deeply in our love for our Blessed Mother, what what would you say? What advice might you have? And I don't know. I don't know. There's lots you you could say here to help us to show who Mary is to to love Mary in a way that 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 makes the non-Catholic Christian go, huh, I gotta, what's going on here? Does that make sense? Because I, I, I want to undo the, the the wound of this thing that, that I think has resulted from the Reformation where, where Mary is just cut off from, those guys got to know about Mary, <laughs> Mary Father. And I wonder how we live our lives out in a way that does that. There's no, there's no magic formula, I don't think. But is there, do you have advice for us to begin to, to, to do that? Is that? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And, and I, I agree with you. I, I think that there have been many movements, um, including, uh, you know, the, the Catholic uh, philosopher, Belgian philosopher, Alice von Hildebrand. She even uh, pointed to um, aspects of contemporary feminism, which yes. can also distort the dignity of woman and what true femininity looks like. And that it's also a bit of a challenge to um, an idea of Marian devotion. So I think that there's been a few movements that the enemy has been moving to um using to uh, denigrate her status and the importance of her in our lives. Um, how to speak about her to others? You know, for me, it's it's almost like St. Paul, where um, to, to every person, you know, he met them in their particular, in their necessity, in their needs. Uh, it's almost like the, the ethic of the, uh, uh, the traditional uh, Jesuits that Ignatius of Loyola founded. You know, when, when Loyola founded the Jesuits, he said that the Jesuit should be a man who can speak to royalty and at the same time he can speak to the homeless beggar under the bridge. You should be so adaptable to the needs of the individual in front of you. So, for example, um, if I'm speaking to somebody who's a skeptic, uh, even of the miraculous or of Christianity itself, I may point to something like the apparitions of Our Lady of Lords, and I'm, then I may point to the fact that there's a uh, medical bureau in Lords that is used to uh, medically investigate um, miraculous healings and how it employs some of the most advanced doctors and scientists in the world, most of them not even Catholic. And then so first you get that curiosity going, you know, can miracles happen? Can they be scientifically justified, explained? And then to point back, well, what's happening at the sites? 
The mother of God is appearing. Jesus is sending her. She is pointing back to her son. She is speaking to us with her gentle, maternal voice to say, come back. If I'm speaking to... Um, to a Protestant, a brother or sister, um, I would um, I would open up Scott Hahn's books, right? I would uh, I would really delve into the rich, or or as you said, Brent Petrie's books, really the rich biblical Mariology that is present throughout. I mean, some of the medieval uh, fathers even had a Marian interpretation of um, texts like the Song of Songs, that it's a mystical, supernatural, chaste love affair between the mother and the son, the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart, and to be able to see the Marian figures, the female figures of the Old Testament, to be able to see those symbols like the Ark of the Covenant, to be able to see her role from Genesis to Revelation in the spiritual war. And so to really delve into the aspect that perhaps is the biggest challenge to the individual before you and to systematically and lovingly speak to them that way, meet them where their concerns are, meet them where their doubts, where their objections, where their insecurities are, and love them by by researching, by engaging, by listening to them. So I would um, I would emphasize relationship, and I would uh, emphasize yeah forming relationships. And as you form relationships. Um, it's difficult to hide the love that you have when you're in love with the mother of God. So that will also emanate from you and uh, to meet them where they are. Uh, to, to give you one example, um, when I was um, this past Christmas, actually right after Christmas, December 26, I left for uh, Chicago. I drove from Steubenville. Um, I drove at night. Um, it was an empty highways, you know, freezing roads. It was a cold, cold period, a freeze across the Midwest and Northeast. And somewhere in Warsaw, Indiana, I got into a horrific car accident. Um, a car came, I was going on a 60 plus highway, a car that had a stop sign on the side roads pulled up to the stop sign, but the ice took the car right in front of me. I tried to swerve. I couldn't nail that car. And then my car fell into a ditch and then hit a pole. Airbags went out. Um, horrible accidents. Uh, praise God, the other guy was okay. Uh, I had a... Um, fractured spine, uh, fractured spine, immense back pain. Before the accident happened, I was in that car praying a full rosary, joyful, sorrowful, uh, luminous, uh, and glorious mysteries. Uh, prayed a full rosary. I felt our mother's presence. I felt her protection. Um, and a few days later, I'm in Chicago. I'm having dinner with one of, one of my best friends from, from high school. And out of nowhere, he says, I would have to see a miraculous healing 
to believe in gods. And he's somebody who's a, who's a Palestinian Orthodox Christian family, but he's flirted with skepticism for a long time. And we were just talking about Christianity, nothing perso- personal in terms of my own condition, just Christianity. And he made that comment. Later that evening, I drove home uh, to my parents' house in Chicago, and it took me a couple minutes as I'm standing in the kitchen to realize that all the pain has left, the fractured spines, the back pain. I mean, it was unbearable. You know, it took three minutes to get out of bed. It was difficult to bend over, to stretch, to do anything. I'm stretching, you know, flexing. Like, it's it's fine. I'm, I'm healed. I went to my mom's room. She was talking to a friend on the phone, and uh, I whispered to her ear, Mom, look, I've been healed. I'm like, you know, bending over, touching my feet, all this. And it happened. <laughs> miraculous healing and i texted my friend he knew i wouldn't lie about that type of thing and he actually responded with deep humility and and so notice with him it was relationship it was speaking to him about his doubt skepticism having that um loving relationship that still you know has a bold uh theological and spiritual uh stance when it needs to be taken but then sometimes the lord will intervene and this was quite an intervention because i feel like this miracle it wasn't just for me but it was also for my friends for his own salvation (laughs) and now for all of our listeners too on this podcast father so praise be to god that's (laughs) awesome oh father this has been an amazing conversation i i can feel the 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 holy spirit palpable in this uh this basement studio here in in sarnia ontario uh uh, over the internet here so i hope that this translates uh to the listenership to the viewership because this is an amazing conversation and i i'm very appreciative of your time, Father, and this fantastic book. Uh, I, I I don't want to inflate your ego too much, Father. Uh, you're a humble man. I, I don't want you to, to remain so. But this is, for me, an instant classic, and I hope that this takes mm-hmm. off in the way that I feel like it should because what what you've done here is just captured this beautiful picture of our Blessed Mother uh, in, in some fabulous and fascinating ways that I feel like this is a book that I could read and reread and reread many, many times mm-hmm. and get something new out from it every time. So I will put a link to this book in the show notes for this, for this show, for listeners and viewers to find. Anywhere else that you want to point them towards to, to follow you or find out more things you're doing or, or resources that you think they should get their hands on, where do you want to point them towards, Father, as we close this out? Sure, sure. Um, the, the book is also available on the uh, stpaulcenter.com, saint, that will be stpaulcenter.com. And also, um, I have a YouTube channel, Father Daniel Maria Klimek. Uh, feel free to uh, look up my videos. And I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I, I do a online show for uh, for MaryTV.TV, which is a show on Our Lady's apparitions in Medjugorje. So there's a few places where you can find me. And I teach at Franciscan University of Steubenville. If you want to get a great degree, 
in theology or anything. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I, I, I did say your name wrong when I introduced you, which is a shame because my Polish ancestors will be rolling in their graves, Father. And I, I was deeply offended. Deeply <laughs> I offended. I didn't want to say I could, anything. I could tell you where you spent this whole interview just seething with rage, Father. I could tell. Sorry, sorry I get my R's and K's mixed up. I don't know how I did that possibly, Father. Thank you for indulging me anyway, Father, friend, and listeners. Uh, thank you so much. And I want to say God bless you, your vocation, your ministry, and the awesome work you're doing for the church, Father. Uh, pray for us, uh, the listenership of this show, and my myself, my family, and, and thank you so much for being here today, Father. Uh, such a pleasure, such a joy, Keith, and I am just so grateful for your words. Uh, deeply moved what you said about the book, and uh, l- like you said, I also feel the Holy Spirit. It's been palpable during this interview on this side uh, in Steubenville as well, so just uh, praise God for the gift, for the gift of his presence here among us, and I think he's He's happy when we honor his mother, when we honor Jesus' mother. So praise God. Very good. Thanks so much, Father, and take care. Thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. Electrifying is how I described that episode, that conversation. Hopefully that translates through the radio wave, radio waves, <laughs> through the, I don't know, podcasting waves. Uh, amazing conversation with Father Daniel. We're already thinking of how we can talk again next and, and about what, because oh, that's just an awesome, awesome topic, conversation. Great guy, wonderful priest, and grateful to have met him. Just amazing. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes, uh, my blog, and things that we are up to. Find us there. We're on Twitter, on TikTok, and on Instagram, at Cordial Catholic. The Cordial Catholic on Facebook to find and follow us there. And to watch what you're hearing, go over to YouTube.com slash TheCordialCatholic. And while you're there, subscribe to that channel, hit the bell, leave some comments, like some videos, and spread the word, friends. Speaking of spreading the word, if you're listening on Apple, podcast or on Spotify, please leave a rating or a review. Those help to push the podcast out to new people and and grow this thing. Uh, so thank you. If you want to help grow this thing financially, uh, patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Those links are in the show notes for how you can support this show financially. And thank you to those who are week after week underpinning this thing and helping it to keep on going and growing. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you again next week. Please pray for me. Know that I am praying for you, too. Thanks for listening. God bless. Take care, and talk to you again soon. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.